the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Kind of, sort of. I mean, yeah, it's me. We've got uh, Craig Roberts securely fastened to uh, the, the the back wall in a closet in a nondescript place. Um, but it's 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 not me. If you, if you follow my well, of course you don't follow my meaning. It is Lifeline, Andy Froyland. Welcome to it. And tonight it is all things truth for today with Pastor Phil Howard, because in truth, it is his night. It's Pastor Phil's night. The doc is in. Hey, doc. Good to be here. Yeah. Well, it's been like what three months, four months. Three months. I've been resting my voice on the East Coast. Oh, likely story. <laughs> You're just enjoying that semi-retirement kind of thing. Absolutely. Can a can a pastor really retire? Does a pastor ever really retire? Not, well, not the burden doesn't, but maybe the responsibilities may shift. And so uh, I think, of course, if I was a cement worker, nobody would argue about retiring. <laughs> <laughs> but no. I still have a voice for God. And I want to speak for God. but And you still have knees that pray for the people. Absolutely. I think it's wonderful to be alive and be able to pass on the torch to men that are plenty capable of carrying the same burden yeah. and preaching the same Bible. You know, I, I was a chaplain at Corcoran Prison for a few years, and I would get inevitably these, you know, lifers who are in there forever. Well, I found Jesus, so now what? I think God, you know, led me down this road so I could find him. I found him, so now what do I do? Well, it's like, you got all the time in the world, man. If, <laughs> can you learn how to pray? Mm-hmm. And I, I would imagine that probably is true for you as well. You've got more time to pray than you ever had, hadn't you? Pray, read the Bible. I'm just, I'm just reading the Bible like I never read it before. Can't get enough of Scripture. Falling in love with Christ in a whole new way, yeah, aren't you? And begin the day with a wife, praying with a wife more than... Oh. It took me years to learn to pray with my wife. Uh, it was when I was in seminary. I had a guy, I was staying in the dorm at Dallas, and uh, this one man, uh, Earl Comfort, he said to all of us guys, he said, do you guys pray with your wives? And uh, the room was silent. Mm-hmm. And he said, you don't know what you're missing until you get enough gumption to make her a priority in the prayer place. And I, the room got real silent. And he bragged so much about this woman. I went to their church. I'm expecting to meet uh, the most beautiful woman in the world and maybe the epitome of spirituality. And I get there. I see a woman stricken with arthritis in a wheelchair, and but he had described a queen to us young bucks at seminary. He was the old guy among us. And I think uh, being able to pray with your wife, being able to be in the Word, and 
I'm a Christian whether I'm a pastor or not. It helps right. if you are a Christian. <laughs> to be a pastor, right? <laughs> well, you spoke of young bucks that are more than capable to take over and uh, carry on when you kind of step aside a bit. And one of those young bucks happens to be with us tonight. Hey, man. Introduce hey, man. him for us, will you? Matt Nicosia is a precious man that we've known for over 15, maybe 16 years. Know his father, know his mother. Knew him when he was a college student. Knew him when he worked as an intern in this church through the summer. And uh, we have watched him, his love for the word, thirst for it. And uh, a man's wisdom is often seen by who he chooses to run with. And when he picked a wife like his wife, Laura, I knew that there's some wisdom in him. And God has <laughs> used him. He's a he's a people lover as well as right. loving scripture. Uh, I've just watched this couple reach out to people. He has great credibility at Valley. And so we're privileged to have him. Oh, well, it's a delight having you with us tonight, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, and it is a privilege to be with you both and uh, to get to hang out with Dr. Phil tonight. I'm enjoying it. I, I tell you what, you know, I, I'm only 61, and according to you, Phil, I'm wet behind the ears. This guy's still got <laughs> snot coming out of his nose. So <laughs> oh, man. Change his diaper maybe during the uh, commercial right. break or something. <laughs> Boy, when you say young, you mean it. I, and, and it is a delight. I, you know, uh, uh over the years, you get the opportunity to visit a lot of churches and be a part of a lot of different ministries when you find yourself in the position I have found myself in. And the one thing I've really enjoyed about Valley Bible has been the fact that you have passed on the baton. Even before it was your time, you started developing young guys who would be willing and eager and capable to take that baton which is, I got to say, is rare out there. And you've had a chance to travel, so you're starting to see some of this stuff that we've talked about in times past. So, Well, we've been talking, I think, Matt and I, and, and as you and I have talked, uh, as I visit churches, Howard Hendricks used to say uh, he, when he would speak, he would ask the pastor, show me your leaders. Where are the leaders of this church? And he said, you usually get a long silence. And he said, I'm not talking about board members. He said, I'm talking about the spiritual leaders of this flock uh, that are growing in the word, that are, have a prayer life, uh, that could model what the Christian life looks like. And we have many churches loaded with people that uh, they like the music or they don't. Uh, they like the length of the service or they don't. But I ask them, are you a follower of Christ? Is there any time in your schedule that you talk to God? Or do you listen to God at all? And uh, that's what I'm looking for, because numbers come and go, men come and go. But those who are planted by the rivers of water and meditate on his law day and night, mm. what they do will prosper. Yes. And, you know, again, um, so many churches I've been a, I've been able to visit and be a part of to a certain degree. Um, way too many older leadership men want to hold on to the reins and not let go to that next generation. And it's rare to find not just leadership who's willing to do that, but even rarer still to find leadership who's willing to plan 
for that. And again, I, that's that's what has been so impressive to me over the years as I've watched this ministry at Valley Bible. Just nurture young men, grow young men, and see godly men either stick around or go out and replant. Which replant. I, oh gee, that's isn't that like the Great Commission or something like something that? Something like Some, that. Like somewhere in the yeah, <laughs> there's, there's something to that effect, right? Sure, <laughs> Matt's actually been working on his master's degree while he's on staff and doing things, studied spiritual formation, uh, an avid student of the Bible. And uh, he and I keep talking about what does it take to have more than someone sitting in the pew, but grow up in Christ. Yeah. And Matt, what have you learned in that area? How do you feel about this growing up in Christ? Well, I, I think the growing up in Christ, you know, it, it doesn't happen by accident. You know, leaders, we were just talking about leaders, young leaders, but also just disciples in Jesus they don't grow on trees. They grow on the vine, and it takes a lot of work to care for the vine. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I have been educated. I, I did get to go to the master's university about 20 years ago, and I am in seminary. But I have to say, Pastor Phil, uh, your ministry to me in, in the in-between time, about 15, 16 years, has, has been an investment in my life to help me learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going beyond just an academic endeavor. It's actually a, a life change. It's, it's sharing your life with those that you're leading so that they could see that as you're following Christ, you're asking them to follow you as well as you follow Christ together. And mm-hmm. so uh, just that kind of that kind of intentional investment in people is really what I think spiritual formation looks like. Now, there's, there was just a little directional forethought into all of this. Um, we're going to take a break here in just a moment. But I wanted to kind of set the stage for where we're headed tonight, at least where we're starting. And a lot of this is surrounding discipleship, which Valley Bible has been. Uh, you, you have formed this in Valley Bible. This has been, uh, I would say, one of the main passions of your ministry, second only to Christ, is making disciples of Christ. And so with that, what we would like to do here tonight on Lifeline is spend some time taking a look at God's Word and talking about what it means to disciple others, because it's hard these days. And especially now with this pandemic where everything is virtual, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, you're not going to Zoom a disciple. That's just not going to work. It takes more than that. That's right. And there are, uh, I think there are countless folks out there who might be attending church, being a part of a fellowship, but you have no clue what it means to grow in Christ. And we want to try and address some of that tonight here on Lifeline. If we have some time, we'll move into some of the uh, one another's, which is always fun. But at the end of the day, we want to leave you with our elder brother, the Lord Christ. Our prayer is that you, t- as you take the time this evening to join us here on Lifeline, that you come face-to-face once again with the matchless Savior of this universe, the Lord Christ, all right? Now, also, along the way, you've got questions we may or may not have answers, but we'd certainly love to hear from you. We do have lines open tonight at 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X, 888-367-5329. If you have a question for Pastor Phil, Pastor Matt, If you uh, have a prayer request, we would love to hear from you. As always, our lines are open here on Lifeline tonight when Pastor Phil is in the hot seat. The dock is in, as they say. 
All right, with that, we're going to take a time out and go check some traffic. And we'll do that with Mr. Michael Bennett. We're off to the KFAX Traffic Center and a look at that commute of yours. Mr. Nate, get her rolling, please. Thank you. AM 1100, KF. And we are back. It is Lifeline <laughs> with Andy Froyland and Pastor Phil Howard, Pastor Matt Nicosia, and your calls at 888-FOR-KFAX. We are going to talk about discipleship here tonight on Lifeline and spend some time understanding just exactly what it is and why we need to be a part of this and what it will look like. Phil? I think it's a great challenge. Uh, When you think about pastoring, uh, I remember what uh, John Wesley said. He said, I cannot imagine staying in one location over a year and preaching. He said, uh, it would just, uh, he said, I can't imagine any man doing that. How come? Why did he say that? He was an itinerant evangelist, and evangelists were given to help equip the church. But what about just settling down and training all these newborn believers? You get saved, uh, you know Christ. I look at my own Christian life. I'm saved at 14. By the time school starts in September, a lot of kids in my day, we got saved in the summer. We backslid when school started. We couldn't last. So when school started and school temptations, music, same old peers, whatever, hey, I sinned, uh, bad language. Uh, I'm going to rock and roll dances because I want to be a guitar player. Well, I figured I'm going to hell. I've lost it. I'm not living. Wouldn't it have been nice if somebody had shown me First John 1, 9 and that I didn't need to get saved again and again and again and that I truly was saved, but I didn't know anything about the Christian life, maybe how to deal with temptation. What do I do when I use a cuss word? Uh, do I just go on or say, I must not be saved. I must be a hypocrite. No, uh, now I found out, confess it, he'll cleanse me from it. And by the way, uh, I cuss less than ever uh, because he does the work. And so in the church, we see people maybe saved, maybe touched, but does it last? Do they know how to survive and walk through a dirty world? without becoming dirty. And so there must be pastors who will teach. There must be men that will show them. I had to pay tuition to learn the Bible. I never learned it in the church. So I paid men and I drove to schools. Somebody teach me the Bible. When I started Valley, I said, I'm not here to be a reference boy for all the schools in the Bay Area. I brought my seminary education right here, and if you'll be attentive, I'm going to teach you the same truths that I paid tuition to learn. Because God, I believe, God gave his spirit to his people to know what he said. And I see people that are believers, they don't know the Bible, but they know batting averages. They they don't know the Bible, but they know the stock whatever, it's just not a part of their life. 
And so I think pastors uh, who are resident ministers have one of the greatest challenges in the world. All the, the fame and glory goes to when they get saved. Come back in three years and let's see how they're doing. That, I'm listening to you talk, uh, Phil, and it brings up a couple of questions in my own mind as far as discipleship. Uh, and I don't know how to frame it other than to say, because there's a first and then a second part, but let me see if I can clarify the first and the second part. Um, discipleship is, is needed in the church. Can you disciple a seed out of thorny ground into good soil. Do you see what I'm saying there? Yeah, is yeah. It, or, or, or do we need to go back and actually take that seed out of the thorny ground and put it in good soil? How astute and what kind of student of Scripture does a pastor need to be in order to have that kind of discernment to know, well, you're, you're not really saved. All the, all the discipleship in the world is not going to help you. Well, it's true. I, I love what Luke said. To those who had a good heart, they bore fruit 60-fold, whatever. Uh, too many in the church are, are unregenerate. We know that. Uh, if you're a church of any size, you're going to have 10 to 15% unregenerate, and you're hoping they'll come to Christ. But the big issue is how are you doing now that you profess Christ? Right. Men that can't pray, couldn't lift up holy hands to pray. And I remember Eugene Peterson said years ago, the goal of his ministry on the East Coast in a Presbyterian church, he said, the whole goal of my pastoral ministry is to teach a man to pray. And I sort of kind of foo-fooed that. I thought, this is so simplistic. As I go around and I watch the non-existence of prayer on any level, uh, and even ask men, where do you pray? Well, we put in a three-minute prayer before we preach. No waiting on God, no tarrying. Uh, it, I appreciate Eugene Peterson, though he's in heaven. I appreciate more than ever what he said. You get, Jesus said to the men, they said, teach us to pray. I will ask today, pastors, are you teaching your people to pray? Or do you do all the praying? You know, just hearing what you're saying, Pastor Phil, it's it, it, it makes me realize that you can't do a lot of training of a corpse. Someone mm. who's who's dead spiritually, mm. there's not a lot of growth that can happen for someone who's dead. And, you know, we were mentioning earlier in a, a discussion, Ephesians chapter 2, that we're all born dead in trespasses and sins. So the first step of, of being a disciple is you've got to be made alive together with Christ by God himself through the Spirit. So there's got to be a new spiritual birth that takes place in the heart of a of a person so that they can actually begin to follow Jesus Christ. So when we think of this task of discipling, we first have to recognize that before we do any work on somebody to help them grow in Christ, it first has to be God's work on their hearts to make them alive, right? And that that's really church history of John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield. They went to the Church of England to hold all their meetings, and they became so offensive because they preached regeneration. You must be born again. And it offended the Church of England. So they wound up in fields. And they wound up starting the enthusiastic, radical Methodist movement. 
both Calvinistic wing and Arminian wing. They just said, we must have a born-again people. And I think that is a great place. Go disciple the nations, baptizing them. That's right at the beginning. That discipling was first, have you been born again? You know, Carolyn and I, we talk, that's my wife, we talk once in a while. We would do anything just to see someone born again and can't get over it, <laughs> happy about it, joyful. Uh, my sins are gone. I, I'm in the family. Uh, where's that? You cannot buy the joy of the light that came on and the treasure in your possession. Nor can you disciple it into somebody. You cannot. No, you can't. That's a powerful question. Only God can do that. Give them the life, but then nurture the life that's within. And that is where we're at this evening here on Lifeline, just nurturing what has been instilled there. And like Wesley said, you spoke of Wesley. Um, When do we get this started? How soon does this happen? Well, how soon does a candle give off light once you've lit it? Mm. So it, it, it's it got an immediate start for those of you who are new in Christ. But then what do you do with this? How do you keep that light going? How do you make it bigger? Do you add wax? Do you add wick? What are you to be doing with this life now that you have in Christ? Well, that is what discipleship is all about. And that is what we're talking about tonight here on Lifeline. If you've got questions along those lines... By all means, get a hold of us at 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. It's Pastor Phil Howard and Matt Nicosia. I'm getting there. It's like, i got to read this. You're doing a great job. I know. I'm I'm (laughs) hanging in there, you know. I used to have to do the PA for swim meets. Boy, talk about last name butchers. Holy cow. We're going to take a quick time out, come back and continue the conversation with Pastor Phil Howard. It's all things truth for today here on Lifeline this Friday evening. Let's head over to the KFAX Traffic Center now and get another look at your commute. Boy, if uh, my drive here was any indication, uh, the pandemic has not slowed you guys down. Well, it hasn't, but then it has because we need a traffic report because you're slow. (laughs) Here's, Here's Michael Bennett. It is Lifeline, the Truth For Today issue, uh, Volume 3, Segment 21, uh, some, somewhere along the way like, like that. Yeah. Good to have you along tonight here on Lifeline. Thank you for joining us. We, uh, we know there's a lot you can do with your time. The fact that you are spending some of it with us tonight means a great deal to us. I trust and pray that you are finding encouragement and the grace of God in Christ through the programming here tonight. Uh, Matt Nicosia is our guest, along with our host for the evening. I'm just a moderator. That's just me. Uh, you know me. But Pastor Phil Howard, Emeritus Pastor Phil Howard, Valley Bible Church in Hercules, commanding the ship tonight with all things discipleship. Sir, the bridge is yours. Let's talk a little bit about discipleship, Matt, as uh, you and I have talked uh, Why don't you feel free to make statements or draw out questions as you see fit? Well, I I think it would be helpful to go back and and take a look here of of when Jesus called his very first disciples. Uh, Currently at at Valley Bible, we're going through the Gospel of John, and and we see in chapter 1 when Jesus is calling his first disciples, and they're curious to see his activity, and they're curious to see his teaching. And he tells them, he says, uh, come and you're going to see what I'm about. You're going to see the message 
that I'm proclaiming. You're going to see the life that I came to live. Uh, so he tells he tells several disciples that. And then in, in verse 43 of John 1, it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Follow me. And so I think when we when we consider what is a disciple, well, fundamentally, there's someone who follows their teacher, someone who follows their rabbi. And so when we consider uh, what is discipleship, I, I think fundamentally it's following Jesus, following, following Jesus. the teacher, following the rabbi, and following in his steps. And so we're called to be disciples of Jesus, followers of him, and also learners of Jesus. Um, I don't know if we've gone to it yet, but, you know, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission, he, Jesus tells his disciples after he's risen from the dead and before he ascends back to heaven, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And I, and I think we've seen through the Gospels, it, it means that you follow Jesus and you and you learn of Jesus. And then ultimately, what, what is a disciple to do? Well, they're to learn and observe all that Jesus has commanded. And so I think before we even, you know, continue the conversation about what does discipleship look like? We have to ask ourselves, what is a disciple? And fundamentally, they're a follower of Jesus. And so when we do this discipleship task, we're helping people on that journey in following and learning Jesus. I remember when you and I had a discussion with a pastor back in Texas, and he brought uh, to us the saying that I'd never heard before, a follower of a rabbi they would say, that is the dust of the rabbi on you? And I never heard that. And I said, Scott, what do you mean by that? He said, well, if you'd followed a rabbi, and they were usually peripatetic teachers walking around, he said, the dust of the rabbi would be on you. His influence, his flavor, his mannerisms, and you'd pick it up. And it's interesting, this man that was talking to us, was a pastor, but he said, I was getting so bored within church walls, I had to join the local rescue mission two days a week to get the dust of the rabbi on me. Church got to be too churchy, got to be too stale. I had to get out and go where the rabbi would go. He'd go to the needy. He'd go for the downcast. And so we're following, I just heard it recently, a, a guy who said, I'm more than a church member, I'm a follower of Christ. Mm. And that's the issue. Not He didn't die on the cross to make you a church member of Valley. Care less. He died to make you a follower of Christ. And I think you'll associate with God's people eventually. Yeah, I like how you put that. You know, do we have the dust of the rabbi on us? Are we are we looking like him? Are we spending enough time with him that we find ourselves talking like he talks, acting like he acts, acting loving like. like he loves, giving like he gives? You know, it, it reminds me of what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 28 and 29. Paul, similar to the task you were talking about as a pastor, I mean, you're working to help people become like Jesus. And Paul says in Colossians 1, 28, him being Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Uh, it's, so it's, it's this idea that this discipleship task isn't, like you said, not to just make church members, but to make people that look like Jesus, that act like Jesus. And that's the goal. That's the goal, that they're not becoming more like Christ 
then we're not really doing discipleship. We want to teach people and show them how to follow him. And that takes more than just a class for a few hours a week. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and more than just a sermon on a Sunday. I mean, this is a sharing of an entire life so that people can see Jesus in us and we can start to see Jesus in them too. I think a great example of this, if if we follow Greek philosophy in Corinth in 50 AD, uh, let's say um, uh, a man's idea about sex was it's an appetite with no moral boundaries. Uh, it's a corrupt city, very immoral. And all of a sudden, Paul comes and preaches to these Gentiles who have no boundaries. But eventually he writes Ephesians. And he said, by the way, this rabbi we call Jesus, he is the model for you to be a husband and for how to treat a woman. He said, wait, wait. Uh, we want to hear transcendent things. We want to hear theological. No, he transformed what marriage would still look like among his people. Because as we were talking earlier, we have a little Bible in the Old Testament that tells a man how to be a good husband. And now all of a sudden, our rabbi, our Messiah, our Savior says, let I want you to treat your wife like I treat you in the church. And says, well, you don't expect me to follow that, do you? I do. I do. Matter of fact, if you don't treat her right, I won't listen to your prayers. Mm -hmm. So you talk about bringing into every aspect of our life. He wants to follow me, and I'll show you how to stay married. Follow me. I'll even tell you how to raise your kids besides Proverbs. Mm -hmm. And I think... It just give me the tools. Think of you just stepped out of paganism. You just stepped out of the Corinthian idols temple. How do I run a Christian home? How, what do I do? And said, teach my followers what I've taught them. Teach them to obey. Follow me. Wow. Sounds a lot like imitation too, right? What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I'm imitating Christ. And, and right in that verse, really, you do have the entire snapshot of discipleship. You've got somebody ahead of you that's walking alongside of you, and we're learning to imitate Jesus together. And, and you're right, it goes into the realm of, of, of marriage. How do I treat my spouse? But I really also see it in the, in the role of, of parent to child. I mean, don't kids love to imitate their their parents, especially when they're young. As they get a little older, they, they might want to become a little less like their parents, but certainly at a young age, they they want to do what dad does. They want to they want to do what mom does. They want to they want to look like mom or dad. They want to maybe even smell like mom or dad if they put on perfume or cologne or something like that. I remember as a as a kid, I, my mom has a picture of me with some shaving cream on my face and my, my my dad gave me uh, one of his razors, but he took the blade out, and there I am trying to shave just like dad. I wanted to imitate him because I, I wanted to be like him, and, and I think that's really the discipleship task is that we want to look like our elder brother. We want to look like Jesus. We want to imitate him, but how do we see him in this life? Well, we see those who are going before us imitating Jesus, and we want to incorporate him to into our entire lives. And that is where we've got to hold uh, a bookmark. Uh, you're absolutely right. You were talking about the dust of the rabbi, and, and I couldn't help but think of the uh, 
uh, the, the the shin bruises from the heels of the big brother, you know, as mm-hmm. the little brother is tagging along just right behind him. And unlike that big brother who would get upset at the little brother, always hot on their heels, our elder brother longs for us to do that. Mm-hmm. And as we come back, what I want you guys to start thinking about, um, we've kind of touched on what all of this looks like. I, my mind reels with the idea that this is a tall order, number one, but for those who are leading in discipleship, not only is it an even taller number, a taller order, but it seems almost exhaustive. So uh, I think there's two two roads we've got to look at in this discipleship process. Number one, the, the person who longs to be discipled, who longs to grow in Christ, and what that looks like, and then those who feel the call on God's life is like, oh, and I've, you know, at 61, I, I've been feeling this for the last 15, 20 years. Man, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. I, I want to pass this on. How do I find those young people who long to grow in Christ? Mm. And what does it look like from my side of the coin? How am I to disciple? I'm not a pastor. See, you guys have got this pastoral perspective. It's it's a nine to five almost here at the church office. You know, we set appointments, we come in. But is there something beyond the four walls of the church for those who long to disciple those young men and women in Christ? And what does that look like? All right. Hold on to that thought. Think it through. That's what we're looking at on the other side of this break. We're off to the KFAX Traffic Center. And let's take another look at that commute of yours as Lifeline continues. Michael Bennett now. It is Lifeline. Your moderator, Andy Froyland, in with um, the resident and the intern. We've got a doctor and a doctor wannabe in the house tonight. Uh, Pastor Phil Howard. Dr. Phil Howard. And then uh, (laughs) Dr. Wannabe Matt. (laughs) That's got to be... That, that didn't sound good, did it? Do- <laughs> That's, it's okay. <laughs> Dr. Wannabe. Yeah, you're, you're getting there. Sure. Almost. <laughs> almost doctor. Kind of like the almost Christian discovered, only different. <laughs> no, we don't want to go down that road now. That's, that's a different Matthew altogether. Ooh. Um, Matt Nicosia joins us here tonight on Lifeline, along with uh, Pastor Phil Howard. It is all things truth for today, which, by the way, you can catch Monday through Friday right here on KFAX. 5.30 in the morning, Sundays, 8.30 in the morning. And as always, valleybible.org is a great website if you'd like to know more about the uh, the ministry of truth for today with Pastor Phil Howard. If you wish to call in, maybe you've got a question about discipleship, uh, what it looks like, what you think it may look like. We'd love to hear from you. 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. That's 888-367-5329. Pastor Phil. I, something that talking about this discipleship, I I think of uh, something that's haunting. If we look, looked at the local church on a practical level, uh, someone asks you, where is your leadership? Okay, like the Hendricks question. Well, uh, when we went to plurality of elders, uh, my, my question was, who's qualified? Uh, I figured I'd study most of my life to be called a pastor and an elder. And so now the big thing is lay elders. And I thought, lay elders, uh, they must be apt to teach. So do they know how to teach? Do they know what to teach? And out of that, we had a man on staff 
Ted Montoya was his name. He said, Pastor, when are you going to teach us to be the leaders you keep pointing out? And out of that came these words, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. And I think that became my burden. There's some ministries you're always attracting the poor, let's say the sick, the spiritually troubled, marriages in trouble, this in trouble. And, and I think most pastors were uh, putting out fires all the time. We're, we're doing emergency surgery, hoping this couple will stay together. And then it, it finally hit me. Nobody's going to give me leadership in this church. Uh, they're not going to seminary. They're not going to. So how in a local setting, how do you, what do we do with the plumber, the electrician, uh, the blue collar guy with three children that doesn't plan to move off and go to Bible college? And I love what Paul said. There's a chain reaction. You, I'm Paul, invest in Timothy. Now I'm telling you, Timothy, Pour your life into reliable people, reliable people, and let them pass it on. That's LB. And I think uh, it hit me one day. There will always be sick people, but there will not always be physicians. And you can. And most pastors are haggard, uh, taking care of every emergency. And guess what? You ask them. Are you training any men? Are you training anybody around you? And that's a practical application of who and our elders, all of the elders we have today were trained by me in a Timothy program to become what they are. Do you Have you found in your ministry, Pastor Phil, that as you started training men like that, as you, as you took to heart what God was saying, did a lot of those emergency fires kind of tend to dwindle off a bit? Well, they did for me because I made a priority that I found that those men, they wound up ministering. They're doing it still today. Yeah. That that I gave away myself in giving them the skills, the equipment. You can minister. I, I'm, I'm not the pope. I have no monopoly on spiritual ministry. Give it away. And they're saying, I've been spending 10 hours a day, electrical, plumbing, iron work. Would, am I going to a church where I will ever get the skills to have a ministry? But then what about your dad? Right? I mean, would you, would you, would you not say that your dad would probably qualify as an elder? As, oh, as, in today's world, oh yeah, yeah. from where, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and here's a guy who, who who's a, a hard worker, man, just plugging hard along, work. taking care of his family. I, th I think we've convinced ourselves the saints can't get it. I used to hear, well, I learned such things in seminary. I used to ask seminary grads, do you teach this stuff to your people? No, this is only for the master's program. I think, 
other words, divine truth is monopolized in a graduate program. That starts smacking of Catholicism, Let, doesn't it? Exactly. It's Latin, it's Latin only. Let, let's bring it to the people. And I've seen it work. I've seen it work. We taught a methodical. We taught systematic theology. And it all seems irrelevant. It seems you because everybody wants an immediate fix. Uh, keep me from maybe getting a divorce or I'm in a crisis. And so poor pastors are going here and there and, and they can only minister to so many. And so and then you always ask, is there anybody you're teaching to do what you do? And I would say most pastors, they're not. And I'm not throwing rocks at them that they're overwhelmed with what they are doing. But it has to become a priority. It really does. And yeah, it's it's hard at first, but uh, the, the fruits of it and the benefits far outweigh the the extra amount of work that you put into it up front, right? Absolutely. Yeah, Pastor, I, I, remember, I remember early on, uh, you know, under your ministry, feeling like at times, okay, okay, we're learning theology here, systematic theology even, and you feel like you're up in the rafters sometimes, but you had a way of making it so incredibly practical that it felt important um, to learn about the truths, about who God is, about about who Jesus Christ is, about understanding what's the significance of his death on the cross and his burial and his resurrection and, and, and his return, too. I mean, all of these truths, and you, you start to see that you're not just learning theology so that you could get an answer right on an exam. You're, you're learning theology that is shaping your entire view of the world. Amen. You're understanding, you know, how, how does how does politics play into my understanding of my worldview? How does how does my marriage and my family, how does how does even uh, understanding how I go to work uh, Monday through Friday? So this this following Jesus and this understanding of growing in Christ, it's not something that happens once a week. It's something that's lived out seven days a week. And Absolutely. and I know that's one of the deep convictions we have at our church that, that you've passed on to us is that theology is not just something that you learn. It's something that you live out day by day by day because we're living before the face of God. And that that's so vital. And then to be able to pass that on to people and help them see not just what to know or what to do, but why we believe it. And that is crucial, absolutely crucial. I think that's so marvelous you saying that. You, you think of the idea we take for granted uh, if we've been in the faith. I, I'm a Trinitarian believer. I believe in a Trinitarian, well, about one out of a thousand believers can unpackage what Trinity means. So how could they, you know, we've got all these riches as I read in Ephesians today. And he says, his prayer for them, I pray God would give you a spirit of revelation to understand what I just told you. Mm. And you're saved people. You're saved. But you don't get it. You don't know what you have. There is a, uh, there's a, theology is so vital to our walk in Christ. It is the foundation that we can lay those beatitudes on top of, sure. right? Yeah. And and I think on, on the other side of this break, as we start hour number two here on Lifeline, that's where I'd like to go. Let's get some practical thoughts into this and, and see where we're going. Daryl is also on the line. Uh, Daryl, if you'll hang on through the break, we'll talk to you on the other side as we start hour number two of Lifeline. If you would like to join Daryl your, with your question, 
here tonight on Lifeline. You're more than welcome to do so at 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. That's 888-367-5329. It is the top of the hour, so let's take another time out, head off to the KFAX Traffic Center, and we'll take another look at your commute over there in the corner with his thumbs in his ears waving at you is Mr. Michael Bennett. Michael? Can we go to the...